Good morning. Would you please uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6? That's the first book in the New Testament, Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. As you turn there, I just want to remind you that tonight we have our second Sunday, uh, Congregational Prayer and Potluck. And uh, the elders would encourage you, if you're a member of this church, we consider that a commitment in the life of the church. There are many opportunities at ECC. There are some commitments. And so next to our gathered worship on Sunday mornings and our members' meetings, we consider this, uh, the congregational prayer meeting, a potluck, because Jesus says His house should be a house of prayer. So do join us. We'll be hearing about great work in missions we will be praying, rejoicing with those who rejoice and praying for babies that uh, uh, members of this church have been blessed with. And uh, we will also enjoy a time of getting to know one another and building relationships together as we eat together after our time of prayer. I hope to see you there 5 p.m. in the basement hall uh, this evening. Would you join me in prayer one more time? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your life-giving word. And as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that I would be found faithful in declaring all your truth. And may your spirit show us Christ and grow our hearts to be generous, cheerful, joyful in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at several scriptures this morning, uh, but I want to read to us and orient our minds by reading this for us. Matthew 6 and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I have a confession to make to you this morning. I want to confess ways that I have, a way that I have failed you, my own unfaithfulness. Because you see, God has appointed me here as a pastor of this church and to preach His Word, to declare the whole counsel of God without shrinking back. And uh, I have come to realize this week that in one particular area, I have failed in that task. And that is with regard to Scripture's instruction on giving. You see, the New Testament's emphasis on giving is far more pervasive than many of us realize. It's definitely up there as one of the most talked about subjects. Jesus talks about money a lot as you read the Gospels. The rest of the New Testament, the rest of the letters in the New Testament emphasize how we use our money. It's quite significant how much Scripture talks about giving. And I came to realize this week that I have served here preaching the Word of God for almost six years now. And for various reasons, I have probably shied away from speaking on this subject. I did one sermon on money six years back in 2017, uh, but not so much about giving, more about money in general from the book of Proverbs. I did one sermon on not giving hypocritically, But I haven't really covered with you or shown you the New Testament's teaching on giving. And so I confess that, and I repent to you this morning. And I've tried to examine my heart, and I've tried to look at the various reasons why I would shrink back in this way. And, you know, obviously there's some fear of man involved. 
uh, being worried about what you might think of me and, you know, the, the concern uh, that uh, you might think I'm preaching for my own gain or something like that. Uh, you know, I, I, the, the, the other concern is that, you know, I, we, we emphasize a lot uh, the importance of commitment to, to the church through church membership, which is a biblical teaching and a biblical commitment. And then I get concerned, well, people will think that we are calling them to membership with this hidden motive of trying to get them to give and raise the church budget and things like that. And of course, you know, in our context, in our day and age, the world is filled with false teachers, uh, the so-called health, wealth, and prosperity teachers who keep on emphasizing that you must give and that if you give, you will be blessed uh, financially and then they use what people give to their own benefit and prosperity. And so for all of these reasons, not wanting to be associated with the false teachers, fear of man, uh, I perhaps have been hesitant to speak of giving. And even now, I confess I am a bit uncomfortable talking to you about this. And maybe you're uncomfortable that we're bringing up the subject. If you're new here, I want you to know the regular diet of preaching at this church is the expository preaching of the Word of God, which means we go consecutively through passages of Scripture. But sometimes it is necessary for us to look at the whole of what the Bible says on a particular subject and hear how the Lord instructs us. You see, the Bible has a lot to say about giving brothers and sisters. The New Testament consistently, repeatedly talks about our money and our hearts and how we should give our money for the glory of God. And I want to be faithful in proclaiming the whole counsel of God to you. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. The New Testament's instructions on giving. And as we look at what Scripture has to say about this, my hope is that not only we would grow in our commitment to be faithful in giving, but that we would also grow in our joy as we give and see what a privilege it is that we have to participate in this act of grace, as Scripture calls it. So we're going to ask and answer three questions about giving. And uh, the outline, I've given you an outline of our talk today. That's on page 9 of your bulletins. On page 9, you can follow along as we go through these three questions. And the first question is this. Why should we give? Why should we give? Brothers and sisters, Christianity is not like Nike. It's not a just-do-it religion, all right? Sometimes we approach the commands of God and, and we approach uh, the Bible's instructions as, uh, you know, kind of like, let's just do it, right? With no thought to our motives. God doesn't just care about what we do. He also and especially cares about why we do what we do. He cares about our hearts and our motives. And friends, that's very different from this world's pattern of giving. If you write a big check to a charitable organization, they're not going to receive that check and ask you, well, why are you giving this to us? What's going on in your heart? What motivated this? They'll just thankfully receive your gift and say, well, thank you very much. And, and sometimes, you know, I think we tend to be motivated by certain motives that are not necessarily the Bible's own motives. That's not primary in Scripture. You know, typically, if you think about what people give, and most of my talk today, I learned this from Jamie Dunlop. You'll be following his excellent book, Why Should I Give to My Local Church, uh, by Jamie Dunlop. That little book is available in the bookstore. It's very helpful. And, and Jamie Dunlop rightly points out, when you ask pe most people why they give, well, there's two reasons that come up. First... They give because there's a need. We sense there's a big need here. I'm moved by that need, and so I need to give to that need. Had a number of people contact us this past week and hearing about the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. How can we give to meet the need that's there? And yes, we're looking into uh, churches that we trust and how we can help those brothers further the cause of the gospel in the midst of that tragedy. But usually people think in terms of the need. But that's what the world also thinks. Oh, there's a need. Let's rise up and meet that need. 
The other major motive that people have for giving is obligation. Well, this is something that I must do, that God expects of me to do, and therefore I must do it. But friends, you might be surprised as you read the scriptures that scripture doesn't speak about giving only when there's a need, nor merely when there's an obligation. In fact, the New Testament emphasizes other motives that are even more fundamental for why we should give. Let's consider three of those. Why should we give? First, we give to instruct our hearts. To instruct our hearts. Think again of what Jesus says there in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. In other words, your heart tends to follow your money, your wealth. I mean, all of us know this as expats, don't we? Some of you have bank accounts in other countries. Some of you might have property back in your home country. And you don't just own that and just leave it and forget about it and never ever think about it. You're often going to maybe log in to the online banking and look at your account. You're going to check on the status of your property. You're going to think about these things. Your heart follows where you put your wealth. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so we need to instruct our hearts to treasure what is right, to put our treasure in the right place. And we can answer that, where where is our treasure, where are our hearts, by asking a few questions of ourselves. What are your greatest dreams and ambitions? Think about this and answer this in your own mind as I ask these. What are your greatest fears? When you worry, what do you worry about the most? If all your dreams would be fulfilled right now, what would your life look like today? You know, these are questions that get at the deeper question, what do you value the most? You see, the key question for all of us is, do we trust in money or do we trust in God? What do our hearts say? You see, all that we own, all that we have, all that we uh, are given is given to us by God. He owns everything that we have. And He gives it to us, those of us who are His children in Christ, He gives it to us to be stewards of His good gifts. Friends, God doesn't need our money. He owns it all. He is creator of heaven and earth. He sustains this planet. He sustains our very lives. He is not in need. His causes are not in need. He doesn't need our money, but He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts to be committed to His causes, committed to the things that He cares about, committed to Him. Did you hear what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24? No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And so the Lord doesn't want our hearts fixated on the things of this world that will ultimately fade away and perish. He wants our hearts fixed on Him and on His glory and on His kingdom. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we give in order to train our hearts to love the Lord and trust the Lord more than money. If it's true that where my treasure is, there my heart will be also, doesn't it make sense for us to instruct our hearts and guard our hearts from greed and from the things of this world by giving of what we have, rather, I should say, investing what we have in a heavenly kingdom that will never perish or fade away? As we give towards that, as our money goes there, our hearts will follow. 
to fix our eyes on heaven. And that leads to the second reason why we must give. We give first to instruct our hearts, second to invest in God's kingdom. All our giving, brothers and sisters, is an investment. Like I said, we are stewards, not owners. We are investors on behalf of God with what He's given to us. And so we seek to invest it in His kingdom. Now imagine if you were living 30, 35 years ago, I think, and two college dropouts in Southern California were to approach you and say, hey, we're starting a company. These guys have just finished high school, uh, and we, you know, we tinker around with electronics, and we're doing something. We're about to start a business. We are looking for investors. And you say, well, what's the goal of your business? They say, the goal of our business is one day, everybody in the world will be using what we make every day, all the time. Would you invest in the Apple Corporation? If you knew then what you know now, of course you would. <laughs> you would give them a thousand dirhams or 10,000 dirhams, and then 30 years later, you'd be one of the richest people on the planet. That would be a wise, in wise investment. Well, friends, God gives us the privilege of investing in stocks that are far greater, far more lasting, with guaranteed returns that will last forever that will make you richer than you ever imagine. Maybe not in this life, but in eternity. He's given you the privilege of investing in His own kingdom. I think of what Paul says. You know, the letter to the Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians was mainly written as a letter for him to thank them for their partnership with him in the gospel financially. He was thanking this church for the ways that they supported his ministry. And in chapter 4, as he thanks them for their partnership, their financial partnership. He says this in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the passage that our brother read earlier today. Paul says this, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Does that make you uncomfortable? You know, a lot of false teachers take these verses and twist them, right? And misapply them. And, you know, you'll hear teachings like this if you turn on certain TV channels uh, <laughs> or if you hear certain preachers, the false health, wealth, and prosperity preachers, they'll say, sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow abundantly and you will reap abundance. Sow your seed of faith today and God will multiply your finances and you will have riches to enjoy. And they're speaking about riches in this life. Friends, may I submit to you that that is a perverted teaching from the pit of hell itself that lures your heart away from the one true God. Teachers like Joel Osteen, I'm going to name some of them for you. Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn. There are so many. We could go on and on. They're lowering your heart away from the truth of the Scripture, away from love for God, and teaching you actually to love money so you give in order to get in this life and become rich in this life. Scripture warns us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And, and by going after wealth in these ways, you will pierce yourself with many pangs. But they lead you right down that path of destruction with that kind of teaching. No, what Paul is speaking about here, when he's talking about the fruit that increases to your credit, when he's speaking about reaping bountifully, friends, he's talking about eternal spiritual blessings that we will enjoy in God's heavenly kingdom. You know, you can give generously to your church, to the cause of the gospel, and still struggle in this life financially. God may bless your finances because you're giving. It's quite possible, but there's no promise of that in the scriptures. But there is a not yet that's coming. There is a day when God will reward all of those who have treasured Him in their hearts. And God will bless us. 
right? Paul speaks about this in, in the same passage. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, verse 10, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Notice that's something that's eternal, that's unseen, that God will increase. That's the blessing that we receive, is rewards in God's heavenly kingdom. Remember what Jesus says in, in Matthew 6 when he's talking about don't put your wealth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures, where, in this life? No, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And so by investing in the kingdom of heaven, we are laying up for ourselves treasures in that very kingdom. When one day, God will reward us for our faith in Him. And that leads to our third reason for why we should give. We give to instruct our hearts. We give to invest in God's kingdom. We, in, we give to indicate Christ's worth. To indicate to the world around us and to ourselves the worth of Christ. You know, recently uh, there was a former president of a seminary who disqualified himself through a number of uh, foolish and sinful behaviors. And someone posted online on social media a picture of this seminary president's office. And uh, it was quite humorous. Uh, if you look at the picture, it was, his whole office was filled with uh, all of these stuffed animals. Right? So he was a hunter, and you, know, you had like strange and diverse beasts from all over the world. You had crocodile, stuffed crocodile, they had a stuffed bear, there was, a there was all of these stuffed you know, deer mantles on the wall, uh, there's a stuffed lion, and all of these things. And, and if you walked into this man's office, or if you took a, look, uh, took a look at that picture, you would know immediately what he values. What does he value? Well, he values hunting and sport and game, and, and, and then puts that on display. Or, or you know people who, you know, show what they love by how they spend their money. You want to know what someone loves? Look at their wallet. Look at their budget. What we put our money into shows what we value. And Jesus wants us to value Him above all things. Right? You remember the story of the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what are the commandments? And, and he says, uh, you know, I've kept all of these from my youth. And Jesus says, one thing you still lack, Luke 18, 22, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Jesus redirects the man's heart from his wealth, for he was very rich, to Christ. And he goes away very sad. You see, friends, giving our money away is an act of faith. It's an act of trust. When we give it away, we are saying we trust God to provide for our needs. We trust our Heavenly Father to take care of us. We trust in God's promises in the face of worldly ridicule. As people say, oh, that's so foolish. Why are you giving so much of your money away each month? Well, it's because I trust in a kingdom that you cannot see and in a God who promises me things that you don't understand. When we give in faith, we are showing that we value Christ more than anything else. By giving in faith, when we give, we are saying, the Lord is better than anything else that I could have done with this money. And Jesus wants us to give with that confidence that He is worthy of our worship and that He is worthy of our giving and that we trust Him more than we trust in what we have. So we don't simply give out of an obligation. No, we don't give out of an obligation simply to show how obedient we are. We give because of the opportunity we have to show how worthy He is. We show our love for Christ and demonstrate and recognize His love for us. We proclaim His glory, that He is worthy of our money, worthy of our time, worthy of our material wealth, worthy of our whole life because of the amazing, great spiritual wealth that we have received for all eternity in Him. 
And if you're here, dear friend, and you don't know Christ, you're here this morning visiting with us, you're not a Christian, uh, we want you to understand this. This is why we give. If you're wondering, well, my Christian friends, you know, they give a lot to religious causes. Why do they do that? Well, we want to be very clear with you about why we do that. We don't give money or do charity in order for us to gain some favor before God, that we would earn some kind of right standing before Him by doing what we do. We don't give money so that somehow our good deeds would uh, you know, be more than our bad deeds, and, and therefore you know, we earn heaven by what we give and what we do. That, those are wrong. Those are unbiblical motivations to give. No, we give because we recognize that God has given us something of immeasurable value. He's given us His own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died to save us from our sin. You see, the story of the Bible is this, that God is our Creator, that He made everything, He owns everything, He created us, we exist for His glory, but all of us have sinned and fallen short of His glory, we have rebelled against Him, We have committed so many sins that the penalty of our sin is great. We have a debt to pay before God, an eternal debt. The penalty of our sin, we deserve judgment and condemnation from a holy God. But God has been so gracious and merciful to us that He has given us this amazing gift of His own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is eternally God. Look at what 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says. He, uh, Paul says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Jesus was eternally rich as the eternal Son of God, God the Son eternal, creator of all things, owner of all things, all angels bowing down before Him and worshiping Him from all eternity. And yet, he humbled himself. He took on human flesh. He came into this world, born as a helpless baby. Fully God and fully man, he perfectly obeyed every law of God. There were times when he had no place to lay his head. He lived in poverty and in need. And then he humbled himself to to the point of death, being put to death on a cross, naked and ashamed, pouring out his blood, taking upon himself the penalty that you and I deserve, paying the debt of our sin. And he paid that debt in full. Not only does he pay that debt in full, But for all who turn from sin and trust Him, He gives us the infinite riches of His perfect righteousness. So for whoever repents from sin and believes in Christ, the debt of your sin, the penalty of your sin is paid by His blood. You receive full forgiveness of sins and the wealth of His perfect righteousness of being counted right before God is immediately counted unto you. You become an overnight billionaire as far as righteousness is concerned, even though you are a sinner, by trusting in Christ, that by His poverty, you become rich before God. Praise God for this. And if you don't know Jesus, if He's not your Lord, if you haven't received forgiveness of sins in His name and righteousness before God in His name, I want to summon you today to hear His voice calling you to turn from your sin and trust in Him. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, the most important question for us is what does your heart say about Jesus? I want to ask my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to ask the members of this church. Consider your life. Do you live merely for the here and the now? Have you considered the prospect of eternal reward? If someone were to look at your personal budget and your spending habits, if a non-Christian friend was to look at your budget, monthly budget, 
the way that you spend your money, would it make sense to them from a purely worldly perspective? They look at that and say, yeah, that's how I spend my money. Or when they look at your spending and your budget, does it reveal that you live for something beyond this world? That you're trusting in something beyond this life? If you're not giving regularly to the Lord, to His church, to His causes, I want to ask you, what's stopping you, dear Christian? If you are giving regularly, I want to ask you, examine your heart this morning and answer the question, what are the reasons that you give? We've considered why we must give. According to the scriptures, we give to instruct our hearts to invest in God's kingdom and to indicate the worth of our Lord Jesus Christ. But God doesn't stop there. No, He doesn't just tell us how, why we must give. He also tells us how we are to give. And that's the second question we're going to ask and answer. How must we give? Again, remember, dear friends, the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. What matters most is not how much you give, but how you give whatever you give. And so here's four characteristics from the New Testament that should mark our giving as believers in Christ. First, our giving must be generous. It must be generous. The Bible calls us to have generous hearts in our giving, to give joyfully, freely of ourselves and of our resources, to give abundantly. Again, think of 2 Corinthians 9.6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And maybe you're someone who financially is not that well off. You know, you might consider yourself poor. I, I think if we consider the fact that actually, you know, almost half the world's population lives on less than nine AED per day, I could say all of us in this room are to some measure not poor. But in the Bible, the heroes of giving in the Bible are those who gave out of their lack, not out of their wealth. Even if you consider these saints in, in the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2, Paul says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. These saints by the grace of God working in them, gave generously in the midst of their own financial affliction and the text says, in the midst of their own extreme poverty. Scripture doesn't just speak to the poor giving, it also speaks to the rich. If you're here and you're pretty well off and what's coming in each month is more than what's going out each month, Listen to what Scripture has to say to you, 1 Timothy 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves treasure as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Do you see the emphasis there? Be generous, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. And so, question for you all this morning, dear members of ECC, do you give generously? If someone were to look at your spending habits, at your giving habits, at how you manage your money, at your monthly budget, would they use the word generous to describe you? The second uh, attitude that we must have in giving that the Bible gives us is that we must be cheerful givers, cheerful givers. This is how we are to give. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. That means we are to have joy. 
and cheerfulness in the act of giving. Where does that joy spring from? You see, Paul describes giving there as an act of grace. Not grace on our part, but the grace of God working through us. That God's grace works in our life in such a way that we are overflowing with joy, and therefore from these joyful hearts, we pour out and give to the Lord. God's grace is what enables us to give. And, and these two go together, by the way. Generosity and cheerfulness go together. Uh, you might remember Acts chapter 2. Pastor Christian uh, pointed us to that passage a couple of weeks ago where they were selling what they have and, and distributing it to the church, to those who had need. And the text says that they did so with glad, cheerful, and generous hearts. You know, giving with a grumpy attitude is the worst way to give. God hates. If God loves cheerful giving, I can tell you this for a fact, He hates grumpy giving. Right? And so if you're giving with this kind of like, oh, why do I have to do this every month? It's better that you don't give. Paul says here, not reluctantly, or under compulsion. You know, sometimes we feel so much under compulsion that we even fake it, right? Sometimes I've seen the offering bag passed over the years, and, and you know, there's no, someone will, it's just a fake old, right? Because you don't want to be seen as not giving. And as one pastor says, it's possible to give 20,000 dirhams, or even 200,000 dirhams, or even 2 million dirhams, in a way that is utterly displeasing and sickening to God. And yet it's possible to give two dirhams or 20 dirhams with a cheerful heart that glorifies and pleases the Lord. You see, when we give, what's most important is what's going on in our hearts, that we give by faith. It's an act of faith. God's grace works in us to produce faith, trust in His promises, so that when we give, we give believing that this is something good. When we, when we give, you know how the Lord works. His grace works in our heart. We cannot, if you want to give as a cheerful giver, then that means you have to put to death certain attitudes in your heart. You have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. This grows you in holiness. This is why God has appointed giving, is to grow us in our holiness, to grow us in our Christ-likeness. You have to put to death bad attitudes. You have to kill selfishness in order to give cheerfully. You have to kill greed in order to give cheerfully. You have to kill and put to death envy and covetousness. You have to kill anxiety. And that's what enables you to give cheerfully and we do so by faith and give freely. And so, friend, if you're struggling with this, if you are struggling to give as a cheerful giver, as a generous giver, turn to the Lord. Run to the cross of Christ. Pray. Seek the Lord. Ask Him, Lord, work in my heart by Your grace. Produce in my heart such trust in You and Your promises that I am able to give freely, generously, and cheerfully, joyfully, knowing that I, all that I have belongs to you. We give generously, we give cheerfully. Third, we must give sacrificially. Sacrificially. Again, think of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and these saints in Macedonia, these churches in Macedonia, and how Paul says, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy, notice the cheerfulness, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. These saints in Macedonia, these Christians, were so filled with a love for Christ and a love for His church and a love for His kingdom that even when they were struggling, even in the midst of extreme poverty, they gave not just within their means, but beyond their means. They made sacrifices in order to do this. And we ought to do the same. Our love 
ought to overflow in sacrificial giving. You know, sometimes when you want to buy something and you, you know, set your sight on something, maybe you're planning to go on vacation, want to buy those tickets or whatever it is, how you will work your budget, you know, okay, I'm going to look at my budget and look at what the unnecessary expenses are and shave off a little bit here and cut off a little bit there and not eat my favorite ice cream this month and not go to that restaurant uh, for the next three months. And I'm going to make sure that I'm optimizing things in order to save some money, right? We do that. Here's a question. Does your budget get affected in order to increase your giving? Do you think about how you spend your money and adjust how you spend your money in order to free up some money to be able to give to the Lord? Now, I want to give you a word here just to be wise about this. The Bible calls us to be sacrificial, and we give sacrificially, not foolishly, okay? So don't, if you're drowning in debt, if your family's needs are not met, your family's basic needs are not met, you know, think carefully about how you manage that situation and don't abandon those needs in order to give. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, on the flip side, I also want to speak to those who have an abundance, right? Uh, sometimes people are well supplied and their income is so large that what they actually give, though it might seem like much, actually is nothing to the causes of the Lord. It's kind of a token giving that costs you nothing. You know, King David once said, I'm not going to give a sacrifice to the Lord that costs me nothing. Our giving must be sacrificial. It must reflect heavenly priorities. We give generously, cheerfully, sacrificially. And fourth, we give regularly. We must give regularly. This must be a planned, deliberate, intentional, regular act on our part. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16.2. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, in the ancient world, they were paid on a week-to-week -week basis. So each week, as you received your income, as, as he may prosper, these saints, these Christians, were to be intentional about taking some of that, keeping it aside, and giving it to the cause of God. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. That reflects thoughtfulness, purposefulness, intentionality, and making a decision. So friends, our giving, I want to exhort you, your giving must be planned and deliberate. It must be intentional. And by the way, that's spiritual, okay? Thinking about it and making a decision and planning it and doing it regularly is spiritual. Sometimes people want to say, well, I need to be spiritual in my giving. And so, you know, there's this mindset that's often wrong, that there must be some kind of an impression on my heart or some kind of a feeling that I get or some kind of a move within me that then that's the Holy Spirit. If it's spontaneous, then that's the Holy Spirit. And unless I have this spontaneous feeling or impression, then it's not spiritual. Friends, that's not how the Bible speaks or teaches of the work of the Holy Spirit. He's just as active in your life when you're making a budget plan, all right, and being wise and faithful as a steward. So be intentional about this. And then, of course, something that might surprise you, you've been wondering this whole time, the burning question, well, what should I give? Right? How much? Pastor, come on, give us the answer. But again, remember the emphasis in Scripture in the New Testament is on how you give instead of how much you give, and that's, what most, that's what's most important. And Paul's emphasis here, 1 Corinthians 16.2, he says, as he may prosper. So it's according to what God gives you. Well, pastor, what about tithing? You know, maybe you come from a church where that was emphasized, or your whole life you've been taught that. And... I would say, personally, in my reading of the Bible, in my reading of the New Testament, I'm not convinced that God calls us to give a tithe. All right? And if you believe in tithing and you believe that that's mandated for all Christian believers, then you're free to disagree with me on this. We can have warm fellowship, even having a difference of opinion on this. It's a secondary matter. 
But I, as I read the scriptures, I see that tithing, giving of 10%, was something that was instituted under the old covenant law. The people of Israel as a nation state under the old covenant were commanded to give 10%. And actually, if you do the math and if you look carefully at the data, it's far more than 10%. They were to give 14 tithes every seven years, uh, plus they were giving animals for sacrifice and all of these things. So really, it amounted to maybe 20 to 30% that they were giving regularly, okay? But we are not under that old covenant. Some people would say, well, you know, tithes were given even before the law, right? Abraham gave to Melchizedek a tithe of everything. Jacob gave tithe. But that's not normative. That's just descriptive. That, that is in no means a command for us. And as we read the New Testament, we are not commanded in the New Covenant to give a tithe. We are commanded in the New Covenant in Galatians 6.2 to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, we are commanded to follow the law of Christ, which is the law of love. And we ought to recognize that Jesus died for us. We belong to him. Everything we have belongs to him. It's not just 10% that belongs to God. Your entire paycheck belongs to God. And you are a steward of all that he gives you. And so for some of us, what should we give? The answer to that question will mean much, much more than 10%. Some of you today... Maybe the Lord is calling you to think about this and he is moving you to give far more than 10% of your income to be faithful. And for others, it might mean that we don't meet that mark of 10%, but what's more important than meeting an arbitrary mark of 10% is that you are giving cheerfully, sacrificially, generously, and regularly. So maybe you are thinking, of, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, I want to give, What's a good way that I can plan and intentionally do this? And I think 10% is generally a wise and good place to start. When I started earning as, as a new Christian uh, many years ago, I deliberately put it in my heart to say, okay, 10% will be a minimum, and I'll try to give over and above that as the Lord enables me. And there were times of great uh, success and wealth when I gave far more than 10% by God's grace, and there were times of uh, affliction as a poor seminary student where I gave less than 10%, but I did seek to give regularly and consist consistently. So 10% is a good starting point and a good mark for you to think about. It's wise, all right? Not because the Bible commands it, but just because it's, it's good prudence. So maybe you've heard all this and you say, okay, pastor, I'm convinced. I want to give with these motivations I want to give with these attitudes. But here's the question, where should I give? Right? We've seen why we should give to instruct our hearts, to invest in God's kingdom, to indicate Christ's worth. We've seen how we should give generously, cheerfully, sacrificially, regularly. Where should we give? And probably what I say now will be the most controversial for some of you and might even cause you to squirm in your seats. And some of you are not going to like what I say. But here's what I believe the Bible says and the way that Scripture instructs us. We are to give to the local church, primarily, primarily, to the local church in which God has placed us. That ought to be the primary locus of our giving. Jesus says, remember we're talking about investing in something that is eternal. We're talking about investing in something that goes beyond this life. Jesus says, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Friends, we've talked about the church this whole series. The church is the beloved bride of Christ, the one whom he poured out his blood to save. The church is the display of God's wisdom, Ephesians 3.10. The church is the display, the local church is the display of God's wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church is the temple of God filled with his spirit. You look at the examples in the New Testament, everything worked through the local church. You look at Acts chapter 4, people were selling their possessions and they brought everything to the apostles' feet who were functioning as the elders of the church in Jerusalem. They brought their money to the apostles' feet and then the church was distributing to those who had need. So if it isn't clear to you from the past sermons, maybe go back and listen to the sermon I did a few weeks ago on membership. We believe that Scripture commands all Christians to be members of a local church with whom they will regularly gather. All right, So you have to be a member of a local church where you live. 
and regularly gather with that church to hear the word of God and to live out the commands of the New Testament with one another. Hebrews 13 tells you, Obey your leaders and submit to them as those who keep watch over your souls. Every Christian is to be a member of a local church where they submit to leaders and invite leaders to give watch over their souls. And so really, membership is an act of submission to my local church, and giving is part of what God calls you to do in the context of your local church. That's why our church covenant, which is our commitment that all the members of this church have made, our church covenant says this, we will cheerfully give of our talents, spiritual gifts, and resources for the work of this church, the relief of the poor among us, and the spread of the gospel to the nations. And so really you can see unpacked there, there are three things to which the church must give, three causes. First is for the preaching of God's word. For the preaching of God's word. 1 Corinthians 9.14 The Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Galatians 6.6 Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. 1 Timothy 5.17 and 18 let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, that's speaking of financial honor in the context, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. I praise God that for years ECC has been a generous church that has worked hard to ensure the financial compensation of those who preach the word of God, yeah, and has thus ensured the faithful expository preaching of the word of God in this congregation. Christians have done this for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, Christians have ensured that they give of what they have in order that the word of God might be preached to them, that someone undistracted from worldly affairs will be able to give themselves to the study of God's word and the proclamation of God's word each week. What better investment could you make for your soul than the sound preaching of God's word? And so if you're not giving regularly to this church and you're a member here, brother or sister, I want to ask you, do you value the preaching of God's word at this church sufficiently that you would support the work of preaching through your giving? Not just that you might receive blessing through the preaching, but for the sake that all might receive blessing through the preaching of God's word and that God's saints might be built up. We not only give for the preaching of God's word, we give for the advance of God's mission to help and establish other local churches where the word of God will be preached. You know, Paul says in Romans 15 that as he's going to Spain on his mission, he tells the church in Rome he wants to be helped by them. I told you in Philippians, he wrote the whole letter of Philippians to thank this church for helping him financially. It costs money to see the gospel go forth. It doesn't happen by magic. We don't want to send Pastor Negusi to Addis Ababa to preach the word of God with torn clothes and no money. You know, one uh, mission scholar has done an estimate, and, and, and he's done, I trust this brother, he's got a PhD, he's a very careful brother. He, he, he's done this estimate, and he says, it cost, in today's money, if you were to do the calculation, it cost about 3,075 US dollars, which is 11,285 AED, to make one copy of Romans the letter to the Romans. Praise God that generous Christians gave of their finances so that there were many copies of Romans and that you have the letter of Romans, the inspired word of God, in your hands today. Uh, he also says, Paul and his team, on their third missionary journey, all right, Paul's third and final missionary journey, which begins somewhere in Acts chapter 18, if you were to calculate how much they spent on travel expenses by today's money, he says the estimate is around 498,102 US dollars. That's almost 2 million AED, just on travel expenses. Generous Christians gave in order that the gospel would go forth to unreached parts. So we give to the advance of God's mission. And again, I want to encourage you and direct you. Sometimes we try to do this on our own. We have a sentimental attachment to some mission or ministry somewhere in the world. I encourage you not to try and do mission on your own. It's not your mission. Seek to do mission through the local church of which you are a part. This is our mission. We work in this together. And then there's this other question, what about other ministries if I want to see the gospel go forth? Biblically, those should be above and beyond your local church. 
And I advise you also, brothers and sisters, to be wise. There are a lot of ministries out there that give an appearance of great godliness, but are misusing money. I've done a lot of research on this and encountered it firsthand in my home country of India. Talk to a pastor, take advice from leaders you trust. We give for the preaching of God's word, for the advance of God's mission, and for the care of God's people. For the care of God's people. We see this in the book of Acts. There was not a needy person among them. We ensure that no one in the congregation is without food, shelter, or clothing. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Brothers and sisters, love without commitment and without sacrifice doesn't say much about the power of the gospel. But love that bears one another's burdens displays Christ. Maybe you think, oh, well, you know, and, and I'm sure many of you have taught this, members of this church have taught this. ECC is a rich church. Everything is go, going well. They don't really need my money. I'm going to go give to this other ministry over here. Well, first of all, God has called you to a commitment to this church, even if you think it's doing well. Secondly, maybe you don't realize this, but when the pandemic happened in 2020, we made a 26% budget cut. That's almost a third of the church's budget. And we're seeking to do things faithfully in a streamlined way. But yet, most of society has recovered. Other churches that I know of that made cuts during the pandemic, they've recovered back to pre-pandemic levels. Our giving, our budget, has not recovered. And there is more good gospel work that we could do. There are churches around the world partnering with us and helping us in that. But we also ought to help. This is our family. This is our work. Maybe you think, well, ECC has large reserves. And our goal, the elders' goal, is that we would give away most of those reserves towards the cause of gospel mission. And even if the church has large reserves, that does not take away God's commands to you to give to your local church. Those commands still stand. Nor does it take away the promise of heavenly reward for your giving. Remember, we don't just give because of need. Right? That's not a primary motivation. We don't just see, oh, does the church need my money or not, and then decide based on that. We give because this is what the Bible tells us to do. And maybe you're there and still struggling and you're saying, well, what if I don't trust the church with my money? And then I would ask you, brothers or, brother or sister, if you don't trust the church with your money, why would you trust us with your soul? Yes, I know we're not perfect. Elders are not perfect. But they're godly men whom God has appointed, whom the congregation has affirmed. And every, you might not agree with every little decision that elders make or that the church congregation makes. But generally, Scripture instructs us to have a posture of trust towards our leaders and a posture of trust towards one another and a posture of trust towards how the church will use our finances. So maybe you're struggling with something. Come talk to us. We welcome your conversation. We'll gladly sit down and have coffee or tea with you, as many can testify, and hear you out. You may not agree with everything that the church does, but that doesn't take away the commands to support the work of the church. So take this home. This week, think about your giving. Ask yourself the question, how much can I set apart each month and systematically give? If you're a member of the church, how much can I systematically give to the work of the gospel at ECC? Here's another challenge. Talk about it with another mature member of ECC or someone whom you trust. Friends, what a merciful, gracious, loving God we serve. He cares for us. He provides for us. He loves us. He cares not just that we give, but He cares about our hearts, why we give. God cares about our wallets, how we spend our money. He cares for us. He sent His own Son to die for us. He has prepared an eternal inheritance for those who love Him and have trusted in Him. He has given us eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth, an everlasting kingdom that will never be shaken. He gave His Son to bleed for us, to save us from our sin, from the eternal debt of our sin. And when we hear that, what's some dirhams that we're going to give? What can we ever give back to Him? Lord, 
All that I have belongs to you. Take it all, all that I am, all that I have, all that you have given me. Take it back in thanksgiving and with great joy. Oh God, I give it to you. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. 